Welcome to Sunrise, your weekday podcast bringing you a fresh squeeze into Florida's news, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Tramel Gomes, reporting from the Florida Capitol. As Tallahassee businessman, J.T. Burnett gets sentenced to three years in prison for his role in a corruption probe at City Hall. It signals is, is that there are consequences uh, for political corruption here in Tallahassee. I think the real question a lot of people want answered was, this really the end of it? Political observers note the probe likely played a big role in helping to elect Governor Ron DeSantis over then-Democratic candidate Andrew Gillum. Gillum was haunted continually throughout the campaign about questions of corruption and, and what was going on in the city he controlled. And as the Florida Senate prepares to give a first look at draft redistricting maps today, fair districts advocates give nearly the entire process a failing grade. They're using the bad actors of the last cycle as a reason to keep the citizens out of this cycle. We've got two Sunrise interviews today. The first features longtime Tallahassee reporter Mike Vasilinda, who covered the sentencing of Tallahassee businessman J.T. Burnett after an expansive corruption probe at City Hall, which might have led to the tanking of former gubernatorial candidate Andrew Gillum. Plus, as Florida's Senate Reapportionment Committee promises the release of staff-drawn maps today, Ellen Frieden, CEO and General Counsel for Fair District Now, is handing out failing grades over Florida's redistricting process. She's here to break down why. We've got all that, including other top stories trending around the state and capital. Plus, we have your calendar of political events and so much more. But first, a word from our sponsor. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics. Following is a paid political advertisement paid for by Florida Education Champions. Online sports betting, it's legal and it's coming to Florida. With passage of our amendment next year, any tax revenues collected are required to supplement the Florida Educational Enhancement Trust Fund. Hundreds of millions of dollars in new revenue for students and teachers with more choices and competition for Florida consumers. Be a champion today. Learn more and request your petition at floridaeducationchampions.com. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, November 10th. Today is National Forget-Me-Not Day, and it's also the birthday of the Marine Corps. November 10th, the Continental Congress first established the Continental Marines leading up to the American Revolution. Two battalions of Marines fought for independence, both on land and at sea. And on this day in 1969, the American children's TV series Sesame Street, which featured a cast of puppet characters including Elmo, Big Bird, and Cookie Monster, debuted on the National Educational Television Network, later known as PBS. However, shh, Big Bird is fully vaxxed. And that might come as a shock to some of Florida's Republican leaders. Big Bird has been getting vaxxed up since 1972. This is Big Bird. This is Dr. Marzullo. How do you oh, do, Big Bird? How are you? I'm fine. Wow. <laughs> hey, I know what I'm going to do right away. What, what are you going to do? I want to get in line. You're going to have I your... want to get a measles shot. Well, I don't want to get the measles. <laughs> <laughs> John J.T. Burnett, who scaled the heights of the business world while greasing the wheels of local government through bribery, was sentenced Tuesday to three years in federal prison and a one and a quarter million dollar fine. 
That's the opening line in Burnett's hometown newspaper, the Tallahassee Democrat. His trial has been the center of local intrigue, often making national headlines in the corruption probe which uncovered a long-running City Hall bribery ring. Longtime Tallahassee reporter Mike Vasilinda has seen the rise and fall of many during his decades covering politics. He covered the sentencing trial of Burnett, and he's here to talk about its possible impact. So, Mike Vasilinda, welcome to Sunrise. We just saw the sentencing of J.T. Burnett. Of course, he's an influential figure here in Tallahassee. And he was sentenced to three years in prison. How does that impact, like, you know, politicos here in Tallahassee who's been following that case pretty much? Well, let's begin with the three years is a pretty good deal when you were facing 70. That's true. But he had, uh, you know, convicted on five counts, basically, you know, bribing Scott Maddox with $100,000 uh, and, uh, you know, dealing with uh, FBI agents over over the phone. So those were some of the charges. Uh, but in addition to the, th the three years, it's one point two five million, a million and a quarter dollars. Uh, pretty hefty, but probably not too much for Mr. Burnett to handle. But what I think it 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 signals is, is that there are consequences uh, for political corruption here in Tallahassee. I think the real question a lot of people want answered was this really the end of it uh, or is it the beginning? And the man who's really at the very bottom of all this, who persevered for a dozen years uh, trying to get investigations going uh, is Erwin Jackson. Every time I see a dollar being stolen from the city, I think it's my personal dollar. He believes more indictments are coming and I believe he's got some inside information on that perhaps. Now, this case has been going on for quite a long time, these corruption trials, and there were multiple. And looking back, it even had an impact on maybe the shaping of Florida's political landscape in that being the governor, Governor DeSantis. Maybe this case impacted the outcome to make the governor be where he is today instead of then-candidate Andrew Gillum. Well, you absolutely uh, make a very, very good point there. The governor won by 32,463 votes out of well over 8 million cast, margin of about four-tenths of a percent. There was a recount. And beginning in mid-October, uh, uh, the governor and the uh, the Republican Party of Florida and others behind the campaign for Ron DeSantis spent a lot of money letting the people know of Florida know that the city of Tallahassee had had 20 FBI agents uh, investigating uh, what was going on within this city. Tallahassee's paper says 20 FBI agents have spent two years investigating the city and Mayor Andrew Gillum's tenure. Over a multi-year period when Andrew Gillum was at least in charge for part of that time. Vacationed with Gillum in Costa Rica. He hooked Gillum up with an FBI agent posing as a developer for cocktails for a tour in New York. Gillum says they're just hanging out. Would the FBI be investigating City Hall if they're just hanging out? Is Andrew Gillum caught up in corruption? You decide. So it's it's fair to assume that uh, 30,000 votes may well have been shifted because of those ads alone. But, the, you know, Gillum was haunted continually throughout the campaign about questions of corruption and, and what was going on in the city he controlled. 
nobody wants more for uh, any activity that is illegal or corrupt that uh, has occurred. Uh, we want to make sure that any individual that participated in that is held fully accountable. The good news is, is that it doesn't involve my government or myself. We have all been fully cooperating. And the difference between how we've addressed this and how Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump have addressed the, addressed the FBI is that we welcomed them and have tried to aid in their work. You know, either he was a mayor who was in charge of it, a strong mayor, or he was a ceremonial mayor, uh, which is more the case, but nonetheless, the questions were valid and, and they, they certainly had an impact on who became Florida's governor, I think. And J.T. Burnett, for those who don't know and the far reaches of who he is, the growing medical marijuana industry and his relationship to Kim Rivers, ahead of Trulive. Cannabis is the biggest U.S. cannabis transaction to date. Harvest is the uh, premier player in the Arizona market. We're just yeah. thrilled to, to have the opportunity to, to bring their team on board into the Trulive family. Where does that go? And do you think there would be any impact or has she been able to shield herself away from all of this? Well, I think it depends on who you talk to. There's certainly people that, that I run into and, and we ask those questions and it didn't become part of our story today. But but she's Kim Rivers is married to J.T. Burnett. Uh, they have a you know, multi-million dollar house out on uh, one of the lakes out north of town. Uh, and she is the CEO of the largest medical marijuana company or largest marijuana company uh, in the country right now after their le- recent merger, uh, merger with Harvest. So the question is, uh, will there be an impact on, on the marijuana company and the question? And so far, no one has been able to tie her to any of his dealings. Uh, but if there is a solid proof there, I think there could be a, a, an issue going forward with her tenure at the company. Through your many years of covering the process, do you think this will make a dent? This 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 outcome will make a dent? Will it change things for the future? Will it make other politicians, public figures, important people be more cautious in how they do business? Well, that's an interesting question. Will they be more cautious or will they not be corrupt? Um, you know, most people who commit crimes don't think they're going to get caught. So in a lot of a lot of the time, I don't think that cases like this give people pause if they're doing something different. But there's always the chance. And I always hope that every story we do makes an impact on uh, improving behavior somewhere. So I'm going to stick with that philosophy. It's worked for me well. Well said. Well, Mike Vasilinda, thank you so much for joining me. Jamel, thank you so much. We appreciate the time and enjoy what you're doing with Florida politics these days. Burnett's net worth is $112 million. His lawyers immediately announced they would appeal. Here's your calendar of events. Lawmakers are meeting around the state to plan through local priorities for the 2022 legislative session. Delegations slated to meet include Palm Beach, Charlotte, Taylor, DeSoto, Hardy, Franklin, and Nassau County delegations. The Southwest Florida and the Jacksonville Area Refugee Task Forces will meet today. Democratic Representative Yvonne Hinson will help host a job fair in Gainesville around 10 o'clock. The Revenue Estimating Conference will discuss a long-term revenue analysis also at 10. The Florida Virtual School Board of Trustees will meet at 10.30. 
And Republican Senator Rick Scott will present a law enforcement congressional badge of bravery in Miami-Dade County with Congressman Carlos Jimenez. That's at 3.15. And state political candidates and committees face a deadline today for filing reports showing finance activity through October 31st. Republican State Senator Ray Rodriguez, chair of the Florida Senate Committee on Reapportionment, announced that the committee will have staff drawn maps of its congressional and state senate redistricting plans available on its website starting today. The Fair Districts Coalition issued a report card Tuesday on Florida's handling of the once-a-decade redistricting process, and it's not something you want to take home and post on the refrigerator. Ellen Frieden, CEO and general counsel for Fair Districts Now, is here to explain why. Ellen Frieden, welcome back to Sunrise. I see you all have issued a Florida redistricting report card. What is this all about, just to set the scene? Well, what this is about is the legislature is engaging in the redistricting process that happens once every 10 years after the census. And they are in the process of drawing new maps, district maps for legislative House and Senate seats and also for congressional districts. And we, as a coalition of organizations in Florida, have been watching this process, monitoring this process, and quite frankly, have found that the process is being done by the legislature very secretively and without much interest on their part of engaging the public in any way. All right. So that explains why this report card is not looking so good. You have five areas that you're judging on. And I see for number one, it says all map drafting must be visible to the public in real time. And you give the process an F. Why is that? That's because we have made the request of doing the mapping in real time and streaming, live streaming it. We've made this request for months now, and it has been completely ignored. When it comes to communications, must be preserved and made available as public records. It shows a little better, and it, it gets a D. Why is that? Well, <laughs> I, it gets... It gets a D because the legislative leaders actually are suggesting to or recommending even to their members that they maintain all and preserve all documents and communications have surrounding redistricting. But in fact, the rules of the legislature, both the House and the Senate, and state law exempt legislative communications having to do with redistricting from public records laws. So if you or I were to ask the, you know, legislators to provide us with all the texts and all the phone messages and all the phone calls that they've made and had about redistricting, they, by law, don't have to give it to us. They don't even have to keep them. They're legally, they're not bound to keep them because they're given by law and by rule, they're given the option of whether to even save these communications. Now, the committee chairs are suggesting 
that the members actually save these communications. Um, but that's only a suggestion. So when it comes to all mapping data must be made available to the public in usable format, they get an F there. So the website that they've put forward, that's not holding up? Well, they say that there is certain data that's incorporated into the website, but it's not data, it's not incorporated in a way that any citizen or even an expert would be able to download the, the data and actually examine it or use it in any mapping tool other than the legislature's mapping tool. All right. So public comment and input must be solicited and accepted before and after maps are finalized by the legislature. For that, you gave them an F. We have been asking again for months for there to be opportunities for the public to come and talk to legislators, whether it be in person or through readily available virtual um, opportunities to do that. We've been asking and asking and asking, and they finally made it clear that they are not holding public hearings. And they're using the excuse that in the last redistricting cycle, the public hearings and public comment opportunities were actually used by Republican operatives to sneak Republican drawn maps into the process with, by the way, the knowledge of people on the inside, legislators and staff. They're using the bad actors of the last cycle as a reason to keep the citizens out of this cycle. For the last point in your report card, ample notice of all proceedings, virtual or in-person, must be given, and all proceedings must be accessible to all Floridians, regardless of language, economic status, or disability. You gave them a D, and I can guess it's because they're at least talking about it, but not actually doing it? We gave them a D because they've allowed people, citizens, to make comments at committee meetings. But those committee meetings are in Tallahassee. And the only arrangement that they've made to, for people to actually have any direct communication with the committees is to come to Tallahassee and happen to be able to be there at the time of a committee meeting. And there's no reason whatsoever why they can't make participation at these committee meetings available to Floridians all over the state. I mean, it's obviously so burdensome from somebody from South Florida, Southwest Florida, think about the Keys, even from Central Florida, to leave their job, to come up to Tallahassee, to be present at a committee meeting. That is a very onerous requirement. It would be so easy for them and cost next to nothing to open up the availability to talk at committee meetings, to provide input at committee meetings to people from all over the state of Florida by setting up um, a virtual way to participate. 
So from where we stand now, how do you assess this redistricting process? And how do you expect these maps to look like? What do you expect they will look like in the end? I am very hopeful that that despite their unwillingness to engage the public, they will still draw uh, legally compliant maps. Um, I hope to see that. We will be watching very carefully to see that, and um, only time will tell. Well, I should say only the maps will tell. Indeed. Well, Ellen Frieden, thank you so much for taking this time to speak with me. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Lawmakers must complete the redistricting process during the legislative session that begins January 11th. Finally, as you jumpstart your day, thanks for tuning in for today's Sunrise. I'm Tremel Gomes, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for a fresh squeeze into Florida's news, politics, and culture. 